We have two dogs in our home. Aria is a two-year-old puppy who definitely needs help with her portions. And Nala is a 10-year-old dog who is living a great life and we want to keep feeding her well so she can hang in there with us for a lot longer. The farmer's dog makes it easy to keep them healthy, which can give you more quality years with them. The farmer's dog makes and delivers fresh, healthy dog food. It's recommended by vets, nutritionally balanced and made from human-grade ingredients in safe, clean kitchens. It's the best option for dogs at all life stages. It doesn't matter if your dog is young or old. It's always the right time to begin investing in their health, helping you live more healthy, happy, and full years together. You can get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash vanished. Let the farmer's dog know we sent you. Use our code or click podcast after you sign up for your first box. Hey, Tenderfoot listeners, Dennis Cooper here. If you're a fan of Culpable, then you know we normally focus on one case for an entire season, like the season one case of Christian Andriacchio and the season two case of Brittany Stikes. As I continue working on season three, I'll be using this platform to help more families in their fight for justice. Last fall, I brought you six cases over six weeks. Now, I'm bringing you five more. From Tenderfoot TV, another installment of Culpable Case Review comes May 17th, Check out this clip. So she jumped over her friend into the driver's seat, hit the gas. Her foot did not let off the gas. She hit a mailbox. I think she rolled into a tree. And she was already dead. From Tenderfoot TV, Culpable Case Review is coming May 17th. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts or subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus for early access and ad-free listening. Learn more at tenderfootplus.com. Hey guys, it's Rob here. Unfortunately, pain is a little under the weather, so I'll be hosting today's episode. Today we're going to discuss all of the latest developments in reference to the gag order in Tara Grinstead's case. If you recall a few weeks ago, the judge issued a gag order, preventing any friends, family, law enforcement, or any potential experts or witnesses from speaking about this case. Since the judge's ruling, several prominent media outlets joined forces and filed a motion opposing this gag order. Last Thursday, March 16th, Judge Melanie Cross held a hearing at the courthouse in Osceola to address the motions that were filed to lift the gag order. Today we'll be hearing the audio from the courtroom as both sides plead their cases to the judge in favor of and against the gag order. This is Case Evidence. The first thing we'll do today is listen to the courtroom audio from last Thursday, March 16th. Just a fair warning, it's pretty long. We've trimmed out as much of the dead time as possible, but it's otherwise completely unaltered. If you want to jump straight to Philip Holloway's discussion, you can forward to around the 51-minute mark. After listening to the courtroom audio, Philip will be discussing his thoughts on the outcome of this proceeding. Court combos. Uh, 
Go ahead and uh, get started. I believe everybody knows why we're here this afternoon, but um, you need to make sure. I know Mr. Hudson was going to be participating by phone. Is that correct? All right, does somebody have him online? Okay, you can hear me, Mr. Hudson. No, I think he's more worried about hearing what. Um, you have to say rather than what I have to say. All right, and for the record, let's, um, and, and for me, of course, I know everybody over here at this table, um, but over here at this table, if you would introduce yourselves. Leslie Gaither, Your Honor, for the Journal Constitution, the Associated Press, and WSBB. All right. Your Honor, Derek Bauer for WSBB, Okay. And Your Honor, Ian Burnside, also here for WSBB, and all right, very good. Mr. Mobley, uh, first question for you this afternoon is, uh, I know your client is not present. Yes, he is not. Uh, I've consulted with him without waiting his presence. Okay, all right, very well, Mr. Bowden. Um, here, with regard to the uh, motions to intervene and the motions to lift or to modify the gag order that uh, the court has placed in this particular case, um, so... What I would like to do is, of course, have uh, the attorneys who have filed the motions um, present their arguments. Um, and then Mr. Mobley and Mr. Bowden, if you have anything in response, um, be happy to hear from you all as well. So I don't know if y'all have drawn straws to see who goes first or what. Go ahead and be filing the motion first, Your Honor. Okay. We'll go all right, Ms. Gaither, you may begin then. Thank you, Your Honor. I'll bring Mr. Hudson. <laughs> okay. Uh, we appreciate the court's time and consideration this afternoon. Uh, I will admit at the outset, it's procedurally a little bit odd. Because of the gag order, I have not seen the motion upon which the order was granted. Uh, I, so I may say things that are incorrect. I apologize to the court, um, but we're, we're working with what we've got here. That's um, perfectly okay. This case involves defendant Ryan Duke, arrested on February 24th and charged in connection with the death of Karen Grinstead, who disappeared in October of 05. On February 28th, the court at defendant's, uh, on defendant's motion entered a gag order basically covering prosecution, law enforcement, the defendant, the counsel for defendant, unidentified potential witnesses, unidentified expert and other uh, court personnel and family members of the victim and the defendant. The order related to all matters relating to the case. Uh, this has been read not only as a gag order, but also effectively as a sealing under order under Superior Court Rule 21, uh, because the clerk's office is, because they are subject to the gag order, they have taken the position that they cannot release records or docket information in this case. We are here today because we would ask the court to reconsider it, reconsider the gag order on two bases. One, there is no uh, evidentiary record or finding of prejudice with, which could support the order. And two, because it is uh, overbroad on its face. It has been long recognized by the Supreme Court of the United States and of Georgia that public access to the judicial system is an indispensable attribute of our, of our judicial system. This is also true with respect to speech about the judicial system and the court system. And it is with this backdrop that gag orders are evaluated. Um, as we set forth fully in our brief, in Nebraska Press Association versus Stewart, the United States Supreme Court 
effectively held that an order that restrains the news media directly, which is not exactly what we have here, is a form of prior restraint which carries a heavy presumption against constitutional validity. Even when an order does not directly restrain the press, however, but only restrains trials participants, it nonetheless faces substantial constitutional barriers. Uh, in this state, gag order, the leading gag order case in this state is Atlanta Constitutional, Atlanta General Constitution versus State, the 2004 Court of Appeals case, where the court reversed a gag order in, the, in a very high profile case uh, in which the pastor of the House of Prayer Church um, was charged with uh, molestation and various acts related to members of the church. And in that court, the court said, a conclusory representation that publicity might hamper a defendant's right to a fair trial is insufficient to overcome the protections of the First Amendment. Accordingly, the court held, in order to have a gag order on trial participants, there must be a finding that extrajudicial statements will have a substantial likelihood that materially prejudices the trial, and there would need to be one specific, specific specific findings of fact based on evidence of the record regarding the impact of the statements. The order would have to permit the type of non-presidential statements of the type that are allowed in the Georgia Rules of Professional Conduct, specifically Rules 3.6 and 3.8, and any restrictions on non-lawyers should be entered with particular care because there is a significant risk that in those instances such an order would be overbroad. Uh, this requires a finding not of volume of publicity, but of actual prejudice. And also a finding that there are no alternatives other than the gag order. Uh, Shepard versus Maxwell, the United States Supreme Court case, which is cited in the court's order, uh, is a bit instructive as you know what, what may or may not be enough. In Shepard, where they did actually have a gag order, the court found, among other extraordinary facts, the media was permitted to sit above the bar during trial. They were permitted to publish the names and addresses of potential jurors prior to war dire. They were allowed to touch evidence, and they were stationed next to the jury room. Um, even then, the court refused to find that pretrial publicity alone was sufficiently enough for reversal, relying heavily on the fact that the trial judge had refused to change a venue motion had refused a request for jury sequestration, and that other alternate, alternate requests to closure were denied. As I said, we contend that the court's order here does not comply with the law and should be vacated for two reasons. One, there is no evidentiary record or finding of prejudice. AJC versus state is clear. There must be specific findings of fact based on evidence of record regarding the possible impact of extrajudicial statements. And as I said, that is a finding of prejudice, not just volume. Um, the order contains no factual findings. Uh, there is no basis to believe that evidence was provided to the court um, when the order was sought. Uh, Georgia law is clear again and again. Even in cases of widespread pretrial publicity, this is Miller versus State, situations where such publicity has rendered, rendered a trial setting inherently <coughs> are extremely rare. Rockdale Citizen versus State pretrial publicity, even pervasive adverse publicity, does not inevitably lead to a fair trial. There must be something more. Otherwise, you can see where a gag order could be requested in every case. Um, and for the, the second reason we contend the order should be vacated is it is overly broad and subject to mis misinterpretation. Because of the implications on First Amendment rights, these orders must be narrowly tailored 
They must be no greater than necessary. And courts have repeatedly struck down overbroad orders, including some we provided to the court in the Ross Harris case, um, in the in a Victor Hill case in Clayton County, in the House of Prayer case in the agency versus state. Here, the order cannot be any broader. Um, and I don't know that, since there was no evidentiary record upon which the order was based, I don't even know where you would begin to narrowly tailor the order because there's no, there's no record to do it with. Um, indeed, at one point, it covers others. It relates to all matters. It has no real expiration date until it does not even expire at Vardar when the jury is impaneled. It does not expire until at least the end of the sentence. I mean, it is arguably in violation of Superior Court Rule 21, which, as we set forth fully in our brief, sets forth very specific procedures that have to be followed before a court file can be sealed. And because it is being read as sealing the court file, we would contend that it's in violation of Rule 21. And for those reasons, we would ask the court to, um, to reconsider the order. Thank you, Ms. Gaten. Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's Journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. Uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. The gameplay lets you find hidden clues as you investigate a murder mystery. Escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Let your imagination run wild when decorating your island estate and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Whether you're craving a good mystery or looking for an escape, you can immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I travel so much while working that I personally love to play it while sitting around airports with all of that free time I have. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. Bauer. Sure. On behalf of WXIA, which is Channel 11, 11 Line in Atlanta, Georgia, and WMAZ, which is Channel 13 in Macon, um, we are honored to be here arguing for your honor, um, and thank you for giving us the time. We know you've got a very busy schedule. My clients agree with everything that Ms. Gaither just argued. I think she correctly identified the legal problems with the order 
that the board entered a couple of weeks ago. Um, but let me just start out by saying that uh, our media clients recognize that you have a duty to protect the defendant's rights to a fair trial. Even in civil cases, you've got to protect the party's rights to fair justice in your courtroom. Now, there's a competing duty with the First Amendment rights that are implicated in a gag order. But gag orders, orders restricting speech of trial participants, or as your order does in this case, those who aren't even trial participants, even the most narrowly tailored <coughs> gag orders are judicial remedies of last resort. They can only pass constitutional muster in the rarest and most extreme circumstances, and only where there is no other alternative mechanism that the court can employ to mitigate against truly prejudicial pretrial publicity. We certainly recognize that this case is being brought in a small community. The jury pool is by definition smaller and more limited than in larger communities. But the existence of publicity alone, even as Ms. Gaither pointed out, pervasive publicity, that's not enough to justify an order from a court restricting speech under settled constitutional and Georgia law. And just because there's publicity, and just because the community in which the publicity is relevant is small, those are not constitutionally permissible grounds to enter a gag order of any scope. I think it's important in this case to point out that just as a matter of fact, not all publicity is bad publicity. And the media, sometimes rightly, sometimes wrongly, gets a bad rap, I think. But not all pre-trial publicity, even in high-profile cases like this one, is bad. And I think this case is a very good example of that notion, Your Honor. This was a cold case. This was a frozen case. It had exhausted law enforcement resources for a decade. If it were not for media interest in continuing investigation into this case, it's likely there would not have been, and almost certainly would not have been, the important breaks in this case that now have this case pending in this court. So if anything, I think the record before the court shows that this particular case is built on a record that emphasizes the important and valuable role that news media can play in the administration of justice. It's not all bad just because it exists. Doesn't mean there's prejudice, doesn't mean there's injury. <coughs> this case shows the exact opposite, at least on the record currently before the court. So there's not only been no evidence of record that the press coverage has posed a risk, much less the substantial and certain risk that the law requires. Uh, that risk, of course, being to the administration of justice, that the law requires before any kind of restricted gag order can be entered. The record here, I think, demonstrates quite the opposite. But even if that were not the case, Your Honor, none of the pretrial publicity in this case can fairly be said to have risen to a level of irresponsibility or danger to warrant an order restricting speech. And as a point of reference, Ms. Gaither talked about the Justin Ross Harris case, we all know this case, this is the hot car death case from Cobb County from last year. This case has not generated, and I don't think anyone can fairly say it's likely to generate, anything close to the level of statewide and national scrutiny that that case posed and, and brought. And in that case, although it was requested, Judge Staley rejected a gag order. In that case, although it was requested by the parties, no closure of any court proceedings was granted. And that was notwithstanding serious and pervasive dissections of challenged and disputed evidence in the media, national and local, on an almost daily basis. And that is not the record here, and it can't be, because it just hasn't happened here. 
Judge Staley had, in that case, the very same duty that you have, Your Honor, to protect the integrity of the judicial process in your courtroom for the litigants that come before you. And when and only when Judge Staley was confronted in that case with actual record evidence of potential prejudice did she consider employing judicial remedies and what they were. And that's how the law is supposed to work. Only when something is presented to you on an evidentiary basis, it rises to a level of almost certainty substantial risk of prejudice to a party should the court look at any type of judicial remedy that might close either proceedings, access, or speech to the public. And as you likely know, the remedy that Judge Staley selected in that case was to move the case when it turned out during jury selection that voir dire, searching voir dire, and strong instructions to the jury were not going to be sufficient in the judge's discretion to ensure an impartial jury. She moved it. She changed it. The trial got moved to South Georgia, and a conviction was had. What Judge Staley did in that Justin Ross Harris case is a textbook case of how the courts are supposed to balance the competing First Amendment and Sixth Amendment rights that are implicated in criminal trials like this. Trials that are of substantial public interest, not just to the community, the immediate community, but beyond. The process should be no different in your courtroom, Your Honor. The court should not consider any restrictions on speech of non-lawyers until a reason to do so is manifest in the evidence. And candidly, Your Honor, we are just not there yet in this case. And frankly, we have no legitimate basis at this point to believe that threshold will ever be met in this case. So for those reasons, on behalf of Channel 11 and Channel 13 and Megan, we do not believe that the order that was entered by the court is valid and sustainable. We would ask the court that it be vacated. Ms. Gaither referenced an ancillary issue that I would like to raise as well, and that is that we understand that although there has not been an order sealing court records in this case, which of course, as the court knows, are presumptively open to the public, nevertheless, the clerk appears to be denying access based on a category that was entered. Although the standards and process that would apply to reviewing a gag order and access or closure order when it comes to records access or courtroom access are not identical, as Ms. Gaither pointed out, Rule 21 would apply to sealing of court records. It requires a hearing. It requires evidence. It requires the ability of the public to be heard before closure order can be entered. We would ask the court to clarify with the clerk that until such time as such an order has been entered, presumptive public access to the court's records in this case remains. Your Honor, I would like to save a little bit of time to respond to the district attorney and public defender if a rebuttal is warranted and if it pleases the court. All right. Thank you, Mr. Bond. Mr. Burnside, are you going to add anything today? No, I'm going to stick with what Mr. Bowers said. All right. And Mr. Hudson. Mr. Hudson, is there anything that you'd like to add? Well, I appreciate you, Mr. Chief Justice, and I appreciate the 
Thank you, Mr. Hudson. All right, Mr. Mobley, response? I would agree with Mr. Bauer that the court certainly has a duty to protect uh, the right to a fair trial. Um, that is certainly one of the more basic fundamental rights that we have in this country. Um, and basically, the courts have said that if the court does not protect a prejudicial, uh, protect the defendant from prejudicial pretrial publicity, that right is harm. Um, and under Georgia law, gag orders are justified if there is a substantial likelihood that extrajudicial statements uh, by trial participants will prejudice a fair trial. And that's from the uh, AJC versus state case that was cited earlier um, by Ms. Um, these standards have also been uh, adopted in the Georgia bar rules. Um, and if Gag order is not directed in this case. Um, I, I feel like that Mr. Duke's right to the trial will certainly be harmed. Um, and I want to remind the court that this is not a, a gag order that's against uh, all members of the media. Um, so it's not subject to the uh, heavy presumption against constitutionality. Um, and this is a, a much less uh, stringent, stringent standard. Um, in addressing some of the concerns that was raised by Ms. Gaither, um, I first want to say that uh, I have submitted a proposal to your honor and provided a copy to the opposing counsel. Um, in this proposal order that would amend the original order, um, I have included um, that the gatherer would include the parties um, of the defense and the prosecution. Um, both Dukes, as well as all uh, current and past members of law enforcement who have been uh, involved in the investigation of this case. Um, so I think that certainly addresses any argument that in the order of this order uh, would be overbroad. Um, 
certainly agree that we would have to show that we were prejudiced by any extrajudicial statements made by any of the trial participants. Um, and to that end, um, I have submitted to the court and also provided a copy to the public counsel uh, exhibits one through 79. Um, this is just an example of media coverage that we've been able to locate uh, over just the past 21 days. It is not media coverage going back the past 11 and a half years. Uh, it includes various newspaper articles, internet articles, um, and I would ask the court before you make a decision and rule on whether prejudice exists, uh, that you would also review these. There are also links to quite a number of web pages. Um, there's been podcasts, uh, there's been uh, international, national, local coverage, and all of this. Some of this should be included in the materials that I'll, I'll provide to the board. Um, also, I'll provide a copy uh, to everyone of the press conference that was held by the GBI on February the 23rd. Um, this is, as the court knows, one of the biggest cases in South Georgia, certainly the biggest case in Urban County. Um, the media coverage has been constant, it's been pervasive, and while that is not standard, Gag order that is certainly a good place to start. There's been helicopters, <coughs> drones, uh, websites dedicated to this, discussion boards, there's photographs. Um, uh, you, you name it, it is almost daily. Um, Judge Irwin County has a little over 9,000 people. Um, and I'm afraid that the horses are probably already um, out of the barn. As it relates to a, a trial here in County, or even one uh, in County Deary. Um, I would just ask again, um, as you review these, uh, to, to see that there's certainly harm, there's some prejudice, um, especially as it relates to law enforcement uh, statements that they've made thus far. Um, they've discussed the guilt of my client. Specifics as it relates to the evidence, as to the experts that the states have employed, um, prior criminal histories of, of both Mr. Duke and Mr. Dukes, and, and that's just the name of few. Um, I, I certainly feel like that the gag order, that to be uh, effective and useful in this environment, has to include law enforcement. Of course, the parties, defense, and prosecution. Uh, already bound by the bar rules, so there's things we can and cannot say. Um, in the order that I presented to the court, that my proposed order, it certainly limits what all the parties can and cannot say is it's related to the, the rules uh, set out by the bar. Um, but also modeled on the AJC case that was referenced earlier. Um, I've also tried to use an example of an order that's previously been used that was submitted. I believe by uh, counsel for the AJC and the AP. Um, so I would, I would ask certainly that you consider the order that I have, have submitted. Uh, and we would ask that uh, you certainly sign that order and include all the parties um, that I've asked. Thank you, sir. Mr. Bowden, is there anything that you'd like to include? Uh, yes, ma'am. Very briefly, 
First of all, with respect to the case, the AJC versus the state, that case doesn't stand for the proposition that you cannot issue an ADCAD order. You just have to follow the, the standard, the standard of doing that. If you, if you listen simply to uh, the attorneys arguing uh, on behalf of the various media outlets that are represented here today, you would believe there'd be no way in the world to issue, ever issue a gag order. That's simply not, not the case. Uh, and we know uh, while this is not my motion, <coughs> state did not object to it, and we feel that certainly the state has uh, a compelling interest that the defendant also received a fair trial uh, and that he received a fair sentence. And that's our interest in it. Uh, in that regard, I do have some information on the state in our place. I relayed this to council last night on a conference call, uh, but I have spoken to Mr. John. Fox yesterday and day before yesterday regarding when he represents his attorney at Lack and Maybe, and he represents Bo Dukes. I've spoken to him twice about this proceeding today, and uh, he has authorized me to state to the court that he would agree for the gag order to be entered. Uh, he has no objection to that, he has no objection for the inclusion uh, of his client, Mr. Dukes, in that gag order. Uh, yesterday afternoon, he called me. He had received a copy of a proposed order that had been forwarded to him by Mr. Bennett. Uh, Mr. Bennett represented, represents Mr. Gaddis. And uh, he had called me about that and talked about that order. And he was concerned that the, the, the version of the order sent him by, by Mr. Bennett did not include Bodus. And he was questioning me about that. And so he again reiterated that he did not oppose the gag order, did not oppose uh, including his client in the gag order. Uh, in fact, said he was opposed to the court and video candidate also be like uh, Other than that, I think I would allow for this to obviously. All right. Thank you, Mr. Bowden. Ms. Bauer, Ms. Gaither, any response? Uh, briefly, Your Honor. Uh, it's first. Exhibits that uh, Mr. Bowman is submitting just now, I think they highlight the fact that the order that was entered by the court three weeks ago lacked an evidentiary basis with respect to press coverage. And effectively, you're being handed now a volume of press coverage and being told this is, a, is the evidentiary basis that would support an order. But it clearly demonstrates that there wasn't one, as the law requires, at the time the order was entered a couple of weeks ago. But more importantly, as Ms. Gaither properly represented the law, volume of publicity does not equal credits. But even if it did, the law requires that the party seeking a restricted speech order must show why alternatives to a gag order would not cure the credits. We have nothing to suggest that the stack of press coverage that was handed to you presents a clear present danger of prejudice to the defendant. All we know is there has been press coverage, and as we know, that's not enough to cross the threshold to justify a prior restraint order from a court in the United States. But again, even if it did, before you could even consider curing that prejudice by silencing speech, the court's obligated to consider every other alternative. 
order-restricting speech is an order of last resort, and we haven't explored any other results. Let me ask you one question. You yes. said an order um, prior restraint. Yes, ma'am. Okay, but this order is not directed to the media, so it would not be a, a considered a, an order of prior restraint, correct? It, it is not a prior restraint on the media, but it is a prior restraint on other individuals, many of whom are unknown and unknowable to themselves and to the media. And there is a body of law in, in the United States that we cited in our briefs to you, which the courts, including the U.S. Supreme Court, the Brandenburg case, have said that the media has a First Amendment right to gather the news. And even if that order that silences the speech of witnesses or other individuals with information, is a prior restraint on the media's ability to gather the news, which is obviously an essential component of the media's ability to report the news. So it's not quite as clean as as suggesting that just because the media is not a, a line-item subject of a gag order, that there's no prior restraint. There's still a prior restraint of other individuals, and there's still a constitutional infirmity on the news media's protected rights under the First Amendment to gather news, which they also enjoy constitutional protections. Do you agree with the statement that because it's not directed at the media that there's a less strict or less, uh, less stringent standard? I think that's unsettled in our constitutional jurisprudence. But I would say it makes no difference under the Georgia law that's applicable to the entry of restricted speech orders in cases like that. That's what the AJC versus state case says. Now, the DA is absolutely right. Um, that case doesn't say you can't ever have a gag order, and no court would ever say that. But what it says is the bar is very high. And it doesn't matter whether the, the gag order is limited to trial participants, witnesses, family members, and excludes the media, you still have to meet the same constitutional restrictions in order to be able to enter. That means there has to be actual, substantial likelihood that prejudice exists, not a probability or a concern or in the words of the, the public defender, I feel like there is prejudice. The court actually has to have tangible proof of a substantial likelihood that there will, in fact, be prejudice to a right of fair trial. And even if that exists, and I don't think any, anybody can fairly say that exists on the record in this case at this point, but even if it did, the court needs to take off all of those other remedies that Mr. Hudson so beautifully articulated in his presentation. You have to consider whether Wadir will cure the problem. If Wadir doesn't cure the problem, perhaps strict, clear instructions to the jury can cure the problem. If that can't cure the problem, then we have to have reasons and evidence reasons why those things would not cure these problems. Then we can move the trial. We can go get a jury pool from another jurisdiction and bring them over here. But all of those things have to be done, analyzed, vetted, and evidence on why they would or would not be effective before the court can go the next step and say, okay, I'm restricting somebody's speech. And that's what the AJC versus state said. That's consistent with the constitutional principles enunciated by the U.S. Supreme Court over and over again. Um, and those cases, I think, were cited in all of the interviews' papers um, at the so, the only other comment I would like to make before I close is that there was a reference by the public defender to a proposed order. And uh, at the request of uh, counsel and the DA and public defender, the interviewers did get on a conference call last night to try to see if we couldn't come to an order, not that the interviewers, at least from my client's perspective, could consent to, but perhaps one that they would no longer object to. And I raise this just because I want the court to understand that the media cannot consent or assent 
to a gag order, an order that restricts speech that lacks an evidentiary basis, no matter how narrowly tailored it is. And while we very much appreciate and respect the, I, I would say, concession by the parties to the case that the order that's entered is overbroad and needs to be narrowed, even if it had an evidentiary basis that justified its entry, the lack of any evidence in this case that there actually exists today a clear and present danger that the defendant's right to a fair trial precludes the media from conceding that any gag order is appropriate in the case. And therefore, we cannot consent for a sentence such a Wow. Ms. Gaithen? Thank you, Your Honor. I would just agree with Mr. Bauer. Um, I will not repeat what he said. The only thing that I would note uh, on the law enforcement restriction in the defense counsel's proposal is it does say uh, active and inactive. I think they are talking about retired law enforcement and other individuals as well. And that's another reason uh, we would submit that it's overbroad and a, a little bit unknowable as to who they mean, especially in this case where I think you've got you know, Ben Hill law enforcement involved in, in the other in another related case in GBI involved in local law enforcement and active and retired uh, But other than that, we would agree with uh, Mr. Bauer and thank you. All right, thank you. Anything else? Judge, I would just like to add a couple things. Um, I don't want to go back and forth, but um, I think first the standard is, is not whether there's a clear and present danger, it's whether there's a substantial likelihood of, of, of harm and prejudice. And I think it's certainly clear when you review these records. Um, and I don't know what experience uh, the counsel for the TV station has with criminal cases, um, but talking about more dire jury instructions and suppression of the jury. It's great if we're a week from trial. We're talking at least a year or possibly more from, from the trial of case. There's no other way to limit this type of information, to limit uh, the jury from being tainted by information that could be released by law enforcement and, and others. It, it, it's just not possible. Um, and I certainly didn't mean to imply the court that any of the opposing counsel had consented in any way to this. Order, it was just one that I thought was certainly uh, fixing the problems that, that, that we have. Obviously, we were not able to reach agreement. Um, and, and again, they discussed constitutional rights and first amendment rights to media. And, and while it's true to a certain point, the substantial likelihood of material prejudice standard is a constitutionally uh, permissible balance between the first amendment and the right to have a fair trial. Just also one more thing to address the AJC case. Um, in that case, it discussed the non lawyers, the trial participants. Um, apparently, the court in that case did not use the correct standard. Um, and they basically said you've got to use the substantial uh, likelihood of material prejudice standard. So there was no issue uh, in, that, in that case. And again, I think once you have reviewed the media coverage, uh, and I haven't mentioned fact that some of the information out there may or may not be admissible in a trial would be further tainted with your account um, or what information may come out between now and the end of the trial if law enforcement or other parties are allowed to stick on the stage. Um, that's just another factor to be said. Um, but again, we just ask that you uh, delete the document that I provided. And I'd ask to admit the records uh, that I've uh, asked to 
Okay. Let me handle that first. Um, any legal objection as to why Exhibits 1 through 79 should not be admitted? I know you, I don't know if you've got any, had a chance to really look at them yet, but I, I, they're up here with me. I haven't looked at them yet. Yeah. They're on the unauthenticated hearsay documents. Um, I'm not trying to church being offered for the truth of their contents, but there's multiple layers of hearsay in the documents. I'm not sure how much weight the court can put on them without a more robust <coughs> authentication process. Okay. Mr. Malvey, are, are you uh I'm certainly not offering them the truth, and these are most material from my opposing counsel's clients. I'd be glad to call my, my paralegal, Ms. Robbins. She testifies to each exhibit that she did research, copied them, and they're, they're true and authentic uh, copies of what she saw on the screen, what she printed. However, I would ask the court not to do that. Okay. Uh, I'm going to admit them. I don't think they're uh, being offered for the truth uh, of the matter, so um, I believe it was just for volume and the extent of coverage. That is has been present. Um, it is your motion. I'll give you the last chance to uh, to make a comment before uh, before we close. Very briefly, uh, I do think it's important in light of what we just said that to just highlight what Mr. Hudson said. Um, the Supreme Court law, Georgia law, is very clear that uh, with all respect to a defendant's Sixth Amendment right, which are, of course, of the utmost importance, a defendant is not entitled to a jury that has no knowledge of anything um, in the case of the matter. And that alternatives have to be considered. Um, and that is why the law is very clear that we are not talking about volume of coverage and fact of coverage and the fact that some people may come into a jury pool and, and know some things about the case. Uh, and that is just insufficient um, to to infringe on First Amendment constitutional rights, and, and that is again why we would say that the the record is not established here for any category. All right, thank you, Mr. Hudson. You're not present, so I, I forget to ask you if there's anything else that you'd like to add. All right. Thank you, Mr. Hudson. All right. I appreciate everybody being here today. Um, of course, I'm on review. I've read your motions. I guess I should have told you that before, uh, so you'd have to reiterate anything that you didn't want to. But I've read uh, all the motions, uh, the briefs, um, and I have not had a chance to look at all the exhibits. I will take um, some time to do that, of course. Um, and then I will do my own independent research. But hopefully within the next week, you'll have an order. Okay. I've got a trial week next week. We've got some time this weekend, so I'm hoping to get all that done. Okay, Ms. Gaither? Can I ask one question, Your Honor? Uh, I don't believe that the prosecution and defense will disagree with this, but of course they'll say if they do. But could Your Honor clarify, since Mr. Bauer asked uh, whether or not the records are, will be open in the meantime, the court files? Oh, the court files? Yes. I know there's one thing. I, if I'm not mistaken, there was an order that sealed the record, okay? And somehow it got sealed, okay? So I, I will um, issue an order for the clerk to release that. Um, I don't think there's a whole lot else there, to be honest with you. I think the, the warrants are, have been filed. Um, there's not an indictment yet. 
So I'm not sure of a whole lot else other than what we're here about today, but um, I will ask her to release that, so at least you'll have that. Um, I just don't want to say yes to opening all up because I don't know exactly what's there. Okay, all right. Um, if anything, if anybody has anything else, uh, I believe y'all all have my email address. We've been corresponding back and forth. Um, so contact me if you need me. All right. All right, we're adjourned then. Thank you. Now that we've heard the entire courtroom proceedings, let's get some input from defense attorney and legal analyst Philip Holloway. Okay, wow. I thought we were here for a gag order modification hearing. But at the end, what we saw was the judge revealing that she'd done something much more remarkable. She signed an order basically shutting the public out of the complete process, directing that all hearings be held in camera. That means in her office until further order of this court. That means that any pretrial motions, perhaps even a trial or even a guilty plea could be done behind closed doors. So in theory... Ryan could go in the judge's office and stipulate to a factual basis, enter a guilty plea, go off to prison, and we would never know what exactly happened to Tara Grinstead. This is absolutely astonishing because in America, we don't have closed criminal courts. In 2010, the U.S. Supreme Court slapped down a DeKalb County judge for doing essentially the same thing and, and said in no uncertain terms that Courts must make every reasonable accommodation to let the public have access to criminal trials. We don't do secret trials or secret courts in America. It's just not how things are done. The other thing about this order sealing the record that's remarkable is that it was done without any kind of evidentiary hearing. We don't even know who asked for it. It just simply says it was filed February 28th at 3 p.m. doesn't say which party asked for it. Was it both parties? Was it neither party? Was it the court on its own? Was it everybody acting together? If so, why? We need to know the answers to all of those things. I'm absolutely shocked by what was revealed almost by accident at the end of the hearing today. If it had not been for one of these media attorneys simply saying, you know, look, Judge, while you're thinking on this, will you just instruct your court staff to release the records in the case, the court records. And the judge says, oh, you probably didn't notice this, but I signed an order basically sealing it. In addition, I signed an order that said everything's going to be done privately, in secret. The wording used in the order, it says in camera, and in lawyer talk, that means in the judge's office. That's not how it's supposed to work. I have never seen anything like this before in my entire life. I have seen limited court closures for very specific reasons when you have very sensitive witnesses like small children, but not in a case like this. The worst case scenario would be that is if this order is not overturned or vacated, that the defendant could simply go into the judge's office, close the door, enter a plea of guilty, stipulate to a factual basis without giving any details whatsoever, and go off and spend the rest of his life in prison without the public ever knowing what happened to Tara Grinstead. The public does, in fact, have a right to access the courts. It's grounded in the First Amendment. The U.S. Supreme Court has underscored that fact, and this order simply cannot stand. I certainly hope the judge does the right thing and lifts it. If not, I would expect the appellate courts to do it for her. What I have confirmed as of today, Monday, March the 20th, is that the judge will include in her ruling on the gag order some ruling about whether or not the 
order to close the court will remain in place. She could decide to reverse herself. She could decide to double down on it and let it stand. And if that happens, I'm sure it will be appealed by the media. But she did indicate that she's going to address it without the need for further motion hearings involving evidence like what we saw last week. One thing I would tell everybody is that if they want to keep up with the most recent news and developments is to make sure that they check out Up and Vanished on Twitter because that's where any breaking news will probably come first. I'm personally going to keep a very close eye on this and just as soon as there's any new information about the court process, we're going to get it out right away. Thanks for listening, guys. Don't forget to tune in on Monday, March 27th for episode 15. See you soon.